Morning Church. Today's Bible reading is from Daniel 2, 19-49. This is found on page 720 in the Bible, the Church Bibles. Verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and rises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the reveal of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you, might, you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and therefore before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was a dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. 
In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other pe- another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Thank you, Yen. Uh, it's good to be back. Thank you for your prayers and your uh, support as I've been away sick. Thank you. Thanks to Robert as well, who filled in uh, at the last minute. I uh, really appreciate that. Let me pray for us. I'm a bit foggy, and so hopefully I'll make some sense uh, this morning. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that you are a good and gracious God, that you continue to speak to us, and that you are indeed the revealer of mysteries. We thank you that you have made your will known to us and the future clear. And so we pray, Lord, that as your people, uh, we may not only belong to your kingdom that endures forever, uh, but that we will make your mystery known to others and that we will live in light of the kingdom that is to come. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've been reading the paper uh, recently. You might have come across uh, several mysteries, uh, like the mysterious object that washed up uh, on a beach north of Perth. No one knows what it is. No one knows where it comes from. Some uh, space experts believe it's from a rocket ship, uh, while others think it's a piece of MH370, the Malaysian commercial uh, plane that went missing a few years ago. But no one really knows. It's a mystery. Or maybe you've come, uh, 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 read about the tragedy of the Titan submersible. Five wealthy uh, adventurers stove the, de- uh, the depths of the Atlantic uh, to uh, explore the Titanic, but they disappeared without a trace. What happened to them? What happened to their submersible? No one really knows. It's a mystery. Uh, there's another mystery about Melanie and her family uh, from Virginia in the U.S., of A, after returning from a family holiday, Melanie finds a strange object uh, next to her door. She merely assumes that it's an insect cocoon and it's breeding babies. Uh, but to be sure, she takes a photo of it, puts it on social media to see what the experts have to say. Uh, she describes it on social media like this. It's a hard like it's hard like a shell and solidly stuck to the wall. It still have haven't plucked up the courage to poke it. Um, I still haven't plucked up the courage. Oh, I can't even read my notes. Sorry. What if a million little thingies come running out? It's definitely not a rock or potato. I'm really worried something is alive inside there. And uh, before long, thousands of people respond to a, a, a social media uh, post. Uh, some say it's a pistachio shell. Others believe it's some type of fungus. Uh, Some say it's a spider cocoon, while others are adamant that it's a mantis cocoon. Well, I'm wondering what you think it is. What do you think this 
piece in the corner of her door is. While in today's passage, there's also an unresolved mystery that's begging to be revealed, and it centers on Nebuchadnezzar's dream. As we saw last week, Nebuchadnezzar uh, had a dream. He, he was troubled by this dream. Now, you and, I might, you and I might wake up from a nightmare and be troubled by that. We might even wake up covered in sweat. We might have even fallen off our beds because we're so terrified. Some of us might have even been wet our beds. But when we wake up from such a nightmare, no matter how horrendous and horrifying and terrifying it might be, we know it's only a dream, and so we get up and get on with our day. We don't become consumed by it and get caught up by its meaning. But not so with Nebuchadnezzar. So why is that? Why is Nebuchadnezzar so troubled by this dream? Well, I can think of two reasons. The first is that uh, in verse 1, uh, notice uh, what we're told. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had what? He had dreams. It's plural. And then what uh, Yen had just read out to us, the interpretation is the interpretation of one dream. And so what that tells us is that Nebuchadnezzar had this one dream, this same dream, over and over again, day after day, night after night, he had this one dream that kept recurring, the exact dream that kept coming to mind. And if that happened to us, if you had the same nightmare night after night, you'd be worried too, wouldn't you? You'd be terrified. Well, what is going on? Why am I getting this recurring dream? And the second reason is what archaeologists have found. And you see, dream manuals have been dug up and found in uh, what was ancient Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. And these manuals, these books that they've found, used, or were used by magicians and sorcerers and enchanters uh, and astrologers to decipher dreams. They had books. The, if you see this thing, that's what it means. If you see this thing, this is what it means. If this happens, then this is what it means. In fact, dreams were so important to the Babylonians that people believed that the gods spoke to them through dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted no exception. And so even though Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful person in the known world, he's terrified. He might have faced his enemies on the battlefield and even defeated the mighty armies of the Egyptians by his own might, but he is left terrified and afraid because of this dream, this dream that recurs night after night, this same dream that he believes is a message from God. And so that's why he's so desperate to understand this meaning, this dream. Well, well, what does it mean? What do the gods want to tell me? And he was even willing to send all his wise men to the chopping block if they couldn't not just reveal the dream, but interpret it as well. And this included Daniel and his friends. Now, last week, Robert showed us how Daniel and his friends responded to Nebuchadnezzar. They prayed to their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this week, I'll focus on the dream itself, what it means. And so the passage that we're looking at this morning can be broken up into three main sections. The first is God reveals the mystery. The second is that Daniel interprets this mystery. And the third is Nebuchadnezzar responds to this mystery. So first, in response to Daniel's prayer, God reveals the mystery. Uh, which means, as a side note, if Daniel didn't pray to God and trust that God could reveal the mystery, then God wouldn't have revealed the mystery. So if you're needing some encouragement this morning to pray, remember from this passage that salvation begins with prayer. Salvation came to Daniel and his friends and all the wise men 
of Babylon because Daniel prayed and he trusted in God to answer. And so he does again today. God answers prayers. Verse 19, during the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Now to appreciate this, we need to understand what's happened so far. You see, the likelihood is that even though Nebuchadnezzar had this recurring dream night after night, it is possible that Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to tell the wise men what the dream was in case he was conned into believing in interpretation. That's not true. That could be the case, but more likely is that even though Nebuchadnezzar had this dream over and over again, night after night, he was terrified by it, but he doesn't remember what it was. He knew it was a message from the gods, but he couldn't remember what the dream was. And so that's why he needed the wise men not only to interpret it, but to tell him what he dreamt. And when they do, he'll jog his memory and he'll know exactly what it was. And so all the magicians and enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers throughout all Babylon made it plain and simple, made it very clear to their king, no one can do what the king asks. No one can do what the king wants to reveal what he dreamt. That's an impossibility. And so they said in verse 10, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Do you notice the emphasis? No one, no one, no one can do this. I mean, I had dreams last night. And I guess none of you know what I dreamt. If you did, I'd be very surprised because I don't remember myself. You see, no one can reveal another person's dreams. It's an impossibility. But in some sense, in one sense, these astrologers and sorcerers, they, they, they got something right, didn't they? They do believe that the gods can do that. No one but God alone. Not the gods, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can. And that's exactly what we see. Because none of the gods of these astrologers revealed to them the dream, did they? But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Daniel, revealed the dream to him. God does something that no one else can do, not even the gods of Babylon, for it is only the God of Daniel who reveals the dream. And so Daniel praises God in verse 20. He sees the king in verse 26. And notice how Daniel makes it clear from verse 29 that he knows the dream and he can interpret the dream, not because he's particularly wise, but because God chose to reveal the dream to him. So verse 29, As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the reveal of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. And so Nebuchadnezzar's dream wasn't a natural phenomenon or a series of coincidences, but instead a dream that God gave him because God wants him to know what is to come. He, God wants Nebuchadnezzar to know the future. 
And so what's this dream? What does it all mean? Well, basically, Nebuchadnezzar sees an awesome statue. Uh, it's probably as impressive as Michelangelo's David uh, and as grand as the Statue of Liberty. But it isn't made of pure marble or copper, but of five different materials. Have a look at it with me from verse 32. Uh, the, the head's made of pure gold, chest and arms, silver, belly and thighs, bronze, legs of iron, feet, partly iron and partly baked clay. I've got some pictures on the screen um, uh, to, just to help you as well. So that's, you know, uh, Michelangelo's David and the Statue of Liberty. And he is a pictorial representation of what uh, Nebuchadnezzar probably saw in his dream. So five different materials. But notice from verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar's dream isn't static. It is, what he dreamt wasn't just like a photograph, but it was actually packed like a James Cameron Hollywood movie because a rock then strikes the feet. Uh, the whole statue smashes into pieces, the wind sweeps it all away, and nothing is left but this rock. And this rock then grows and becomes so huge that it, it's like a mountain that fills the entire world. It's a very strange dream, isn't it? it is, but, but yet it's very particular. So what does it all mean? Now, if we were left with this dream, how would you even begin to interpret it? We, we, we wouldn't even know where to begin, would we? But thankfully, God doesn't just reveal the dream to Daniel. He also tells him what it means. He leaves the guesswork out of it because it's important that we understand what God is saying. Now, when you read Daniel's interpretation from verse 36, it's pretty clear what the point is. And the point is this, kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but the kingdom of God will endure forever. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but the kingdom of God will endure forever. So Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that each material represents a kingdom. And each kingdom will give way to the next kingdom. And so it begins with the gold head, which represents Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But eventually Babylon will fall, and another kingdom will rise in its place, the silver chest of, uh, 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 and arms. And then the kingdom will also fall, which will give rise to another kingdom, which will take its place, the bronze belly and thighs and so forth. Now, since this dream Nebuchadnezzar had was some two and a half thousand years ago, Christians have looked back over history and reread this dream and they've tried to put two and two together and since babylon fell to the persians in 539 bc then the silver chest and arms probably represent the kingdom of persia and since the persians fell to alexander the great in 331 bc then the bronze belly and thighs must represent the greek empire and so forth now it could be true and maybe it does all line up and that's how we are to understand it. But what we need to be careful when we read visions is not to overread it, to interpret more than we're given. Otherwise, we can get caught up in the details and lose the forest for the trees. Because at the end of the day, the details don't actually matter because what Nebuchadnezzar needed to understand and what we need to know is the same thing as I said. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But the kingdom of God endures forever. For the climax of the dream isn't the statue. 
The climax of the dream is the rock that's carved, not from human hands, the rock that smashes the kingdoms so that they all disappear without a trace. The kingdom that grows into a mountain and covers the whole world. And Daniel makes it very clear from verse 44 that this rock is the kingdom that God himself will establish. And it will never be destroyed. That the rock will bring an end to all other kingdoms and it will endure forever. So verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all of those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. And so just imagine back two and a half years, uh, over 2,000 years ago, you're a Jew living back in uh, Jerusalem. The Babylonian exile has come to an end, and you're being ruled as a vassal state by other foreign powers, probably the Persians at this time. And you, and you get the book of Daniel. You get a word from God in the form of the book of Daniel. And you read it, and, and you're, you, you, you read this, and you realize, wow, God, God is fulfilling this vision. The mighty Babylonians have fallen. We're back in Jerusalem. Sure, we might still be a vassal state under a foreign power, but we're living in the partial fulfillment of God's promise that what he said is coming to pass. The powerful Babylonians fell to the inferior empire of the Persians, and so you still not in the ideal situation where you're being ruled by your Messiah, but you'd be so encouraged, wouldn't you, that God is keeping his promise and his word is coming true. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, we saw a couple weeks ago, you're already told that it was God who handed Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar and allowed his temple to be ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar. It was God who did it. And now in Daniel chapter 2, verse 37, uh, you're, you're now told that it's your God, Yahweh, the God of heaven, that gave Nebuchadnezzar dominion and power, might and glory. God is the one who gave Nebuchadnezzar that place in history. But more than that, you're experiencing firsthand the partial fulfillment of God's plans and purposes with the fall of Babylon, the golden head, the rise of Persia, the silver chest and arms. And so you live with hope. Knowing that God is fulfilling his purpose bit by bit, day by day, you cling on to that hope that one day, in one way or other, you don't know how, but God will carve out this rock. And this rock that God carves out, not by human hands, will strike all other kingdoms and they will all disappear. And what you're left with is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God only that will endure forever. And so you know, you'd be so encouraged, wouldn't you, that you're on the winning side. It's just a matter of time. You just have to cling to God. You're on the winning side. He will fulfill his promises. Now, if you were Nebuchadnezzar and you heard this dream and this interpretation, how would you respond to it? You've just heard that your kingdom is going to come crushing down and will be no more. So it's the worst news that you could hear, couldn't you? If you're the most powerful king of the known world and you've just been told that everything you've worked for, everything you have, will come to nothing. Well, he takes it on the chin. 
He accepts it as a matter of fact. And he even acknowledges that Daniel's God is the most supreme God. Verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God, God's, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Now when we read that, it almost sounds like Nebuchadnezzar becomes a believer on this day, doesn't it? But he doesn't actually mean that. Uh, he was a polytheist and believed in many gods. And, and so uh, uh, from this experience, he's probably just added Daniel's God to his pantheon of gods. But to his credit, you see, and this is an, a, a real challenge for us, especially of us who are professing Christians, that even though he's the most powerful man in the known world, he knows that what he has built won't last forever. Yet he's willing to accept it and respond accordingly. And so, as we consider the application of this passage, we'll be thinking about the kingdom that we are building and whether our heart is fully devoted to the kingdom of God that actually endures forever. Well, Nebuchadnezzar does what he promises in the last few verses. He promotes Daniel and his friends in verse 48, and Daniel serves him at the royal court. Well, three weeks after Melanie posted her photo on social media, she got thousands of responses. So does anyone want to guess what that item is that's stuck in the corner of a door? Any guesses? No? We're all too terrified? <laughs> That's all right. Well, one person even gave a detailed analysis. Let me read it to you. I can see little holes in it. Maybe it's an old spider egg sac. When a mother spider has babies, they build up in a sack, and the little holes could be from when they have escaped. Maybe the corner was a good spot for it. I don't know how people have so much time on their hands to responds to social media like this but there you go who's convinced yeah while her husband had enough three weeks of waiting he grabs a knife he's sick of this frightening object in their home he goes and stabs it and he says it feels like a rock at this point completely out of the blue their four-year-old son jumps out of nowhere and says that's my rock the mystery was finally revealed. It was her son's pet rock. And he stuck it into that corner for safekeeping. Well, in today's passage, another mystery has been revealed. And that's the mystery of God's will. The mystery of the future, he has planned the mystery of his everlasting kingdom. But the question left unanswered for us still is the question about this rock. Who is this rock? What is this rock? And how will this rock establish God's kingdom forever? Well, as we Christians flip through the pages of Scripture and we read through the books of history, we know that this rock is not carved by human hands, but it's the one who came from God's right hand. We know this rock established the kingdom of God, not by swords and spears, but by the sacrifices of his own life. We know this rock will grow and fill the earth just like a mustard seed, he tells us, and even reaches 
the shores of Melbourne. For this rock is Jesus, who is the king of the kingdom of God, and his kingdom will endure forever, as the apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 7. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's how you can belong into the kingdom that endures forever. When you have redemption through his sacrifice, the pouring out of his blood on the cross, and the forgiveness of your sins that gives you entry into his kingdom that endures forever. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. You see, it's God's doing. It's God's great gift that he had planned years and years earlier before Jesus set foot on this earth as we have seen in Daniel this morning. Verse 8, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us what? He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And what is this mystery in Christ? What is this mystery that's now been revealed more fully for us to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. You see, this kingdom that God is establishing is established under Christ. And this kingdom, established by the will of God, isn't just for Jews, but for Gentiles like you and me. For Paul continues in chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Friends, God has revealed his mystery, and he's done so bit by bit over time, but in Jesus, we now have all we need to know. The mystery has been revealed, that we can belong to the kingdom of God that will endure forever through the blood of Jesus Christ. We know that God is establishing his kingdom, and he's doing it through his Son. And so if the original readers of Daniel can be encouraged to press on, to keep hoping, to keep trusting, even when it's all's not right, even when they're being uh, 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 ruled by a, a foreign regime, paying taxes to a foreign enemy kingdom, how much more can we trust that our future's secure if we belong to the kingdom that endures forever? And so when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon of the Mount, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that makes sense, doesn't it, friends? Because the mighty kingdoms of the ancient world who seem all-powerful and invincible have fallen one by one. God's word has been fulfilled. According to God's plans and purposes in Nebuchadnezzar's dream two and a half thousand years ago, Babylon and Persia are no more. <laughs> I'm missing my last few pages. They're no more. <laughs> Let me uh... Well, this has never happened. I'm still recovering. That's my excuse. <laughs> I wonder where they've gone. Oh, did I give it to you? Oh, cool. Thanks. All right. 
Well, that was a bit anticlimactic. So it makes sense to store our treasures in the kingdom of God. Because it makes no sense if Babylon and Persia are no more, the Greeks have fallen, the Romans don't rule the world anymore, in fulfillment of God's word in the vision. And so if these powerful kingdoms could fall in accordance with God's word, then it would be completely rational for us to think that the tiny kingdom that we are building in our own little lives, in this corner of the world, if, we, if we're building this kingdom at the expense of God's kingdom, and we think that our little kingdom will endure when the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans have fallen, we're fooling ourselves, aren't we? What we build and what we do on earth will not endure and will not ultimately matter for only what matters is the kingdom of God, for that is what will endure forever. And so we need to take seriously what God has revealed and what Jesus teaches. We need to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven to work for the kingdom of God that will endure forever because that is the work that will endure forever and not for our own little kingdoms that will ultimately be destroyed. And so the most important thing we can ever do is to make sure that we're actually in the kingdom of God. That we've actually come to Jesus for redemption. That we've sought forgiveness from him. Because that's the only way that you can be in the kingdom of God that will endure forever. And if you're not sure for whatever reason then please do come and talk to me because God doesn't just want to save you. He wants you to know that you're saved and that you belong to his kingdom that endures forever. And so we need to belong to his kingdom, but we also need to live for his kingdom. Now, living for his kingdom doesn't mean that uh, 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 we can't take that next promotion or enjoy political success. It doesn't mean we don't study hard and seek the welfare of our nation. As we've seen in Daniel, Daniel actually does all these things. In fact, Christians even are, are, are prayed in, in 1 Timothy 2 for the tyrant Emperor Nero. But while Daniel learns the ways of the Babylonians and seeks the good of Babylonian, Babylon, while he is promoted and recognized as one of the greatest uh, amongst the king's wise men, he clearly isn't one who lived for his own kingdom. He's not a kingdom builder for Daniel's glory. He lives and works for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. I mean, just in uh, today's passage, he was appointed ruler over the entire province of Babylon. He became the boss of all the wise men in verse 48, and he even got his friends promoted into high places in verse 49. He was a teenager still. But he was promoted and he got these opportunities, not because he was seeking it, but because he was trying to save their lives. And he trusted in God. He prayed to God for salvation. And God honored him. And God used him. And so there's no problem with Daniel and his friends being promoted. And so there isn't an issue for us when we climb the corporate ladder, as it were. Unless, of course, we take that promotion at the expense of the kingdom of God. 
And so taking that promotion means not having time for church and regularly missing church. Not being able to serve God's people and using the gifts God's given you to serve his people and build up his church, then maybe that promotion isn't for you. Or if taking that promotion means you're more stressed by the increased responsibilities and you find yourself constantly short with the kids and that you have no time and you're impatient with your spouse, then maybe that promotion isn't for you. Or if taking the promotion is motivated by a lustful power or desire for riches or to keep up with the Joneses, then maybe that promotion isn't for you. You see, your godliness matters more to God than how much bacon you can bring home. Or another way to put it is this. Who you are as a child of God and a disciple of Jesus Christ, what kind of person you are, is more important to God than the title that you that, than the title you have posted on LinkedIn. And so, friends, let's make sure that we belong to the kingdom of God. Let's live for the kingdom of God, for that is the one that endures forever. And let me encourage you, maybe over at Robin Mary's over lunch, to share with each other how you're trying to live for God's kingdom and not your own. Amen.